It was late one night when I put the VHS tape into the VCR. And on came the music and that voice of Robert Stack, host of Unsolved Mysteries. And I watched as Unsolved Mysteries explored According to Native American medicine men, there was a mythical supernatural being that stood a mere two feet high, yet had all kinds of supernatural powers and superhuman strength. Years later, there would be a mummy discovered of one of these beings that then traveled the country and mysteriously disappeared. That night, I slept in a different room in our house. Our, my parents had just put on an addition to the house, and they built a three-seasons room. And I took a sleeping bag out, and I slept in that room. There were no blinds. There were no curtains. And I woke up in the middle of the night with the moon shining in and a strange-looking shadow across the floor, and I did not go back to sleep for the rest of that night because I was convinced that outside of the sliding glass door to that room stood one of these beings, and I couldn't go back to sleep. I was awake all night thinking there was a mummy that was staring at me. There are things in this world that we cannot fully explain or understand. And over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of these accounts from Scripture and what we're calling horrified. We've explained it this way. Conjuring spirits, dead bones coming alive, body parts void of a body appearing out of nowhere, and a gruesome dismemberment. These aren't scenes from the latest Tarantino film. They're actually all stories and scenes from Scripture that reveal to us much about our lives and much about God. So we're excited that you're joining us today, and we'd invite you to follow along with us as we look at the first account that we're going to be seeing in Horrified in 1 Samuel 28. But before we dive into 1 Samuel 28, I want to give you just a little bit of context of what's happening. There's a king, the first king of Israel. His name is Saul. He's been king of Israel, but his reign is coming to an end. He's about to discover that as we unpack 1 Samuel 28 today. We start in verse 3 where we read these words. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. So let's understand the context of what's happening to help us fully understand all of the, all of the dynamics that are in play. First is Samuel. Samuel was a spiritual leader. He didn't fit neatly in the category of priest or prophet, but he functioned as a spiritual leader for the Israelites. And it was his job to appoint their first king, and he anointed Saul 
as their first king. Now, 1 Samuel 15 records for us a message that God delivered to Samuel to take to King Saul, the king that he appointed. And God's message to Samuel to tell to Saul was this, to go into battle and to completely destroy the Amalekites, to annihilate them, to wipe them off the face of the world. They were a horrible people. They committed numerous atrocities, and God, who is a just God, had had enough. And so he was going to bring about justice by sending in Saul in the Israelite army to wipe out the Amalekites, to completely destroy them. And Saul and the Israelites went into battle against the Amalekites, and 1 Samuel 15 records this for us. But rather than completely annihilate them, Saul made the choice. And he made the choice to keep their king and the best of their livestock alive, thereby not listening to the message that God had given to Saul through Samuel. And this created a rift between Saul and Samuel. As Samuel appointed Saul king, here he was upset that Saul did not follow the message that God had relayed to Samuel for Saul to follow. And it created such a rift between the two that they never spoke again. It ended their relationship. What's interesting is that Saul had followed a number of God's commands. He'd followed a number of God's commands. And one of those, as we saw alluded to here in 1 Samuel 28, was to drive all the mediums out of the land. And Saul did that. And the reason for that is recorded in Deuteronomy 18.11. We're not going to look into that today. But Deuteronomy 18.11 records the mandate for mediums to be driven out of the land. And Saul followed that, but he didn't follow all of the mandates that God had placed. And now we fast forward and we see that Israelite, Israel, they find themselves in a battle. The Israelites are battling against their, their nemesis, the Philistines, and they find themselves up against what seemingly are insurmountable odds. The Philistines have assembled their army. They're camped out a few miles away, and they are ready for battle. They are ready to go to war. And Saul has also assembled the Israelites, and Saul's looking over the he's looking over the battle, and he is afraid for what's to come. He is scared that he is going to lose, and they're going to be destroyed by the Philistines. And First Samuel twenty-eight continues, and when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim, or by prophets. Saul's freaking out. He sees the odds. He sees the army. And he is, he's worried. He's scared. He's afraid. And so he's going to prayer in his time of fear. And he's crying out to God. And God is silent. God's not answering him. God isn't revealing things in dreams as God, as is detailed for us in the Old Testament. One of the ways that God would communicate at that time was through dreams, and there are no dreams God's communicating for. One of the ways that, that God would communicate was through Urim, and we're not entirely sure how the Urim worked, but what Urim was, it were two stones 
the high priest would wear behind the breastplate, and somehow through, through those two stones, God would make clear what his desires were. Nothing. There was no prophet speaking in to the life of Saul at this point. So all of the ways that God had spoken, there was nothing. And Saul is afraid. He finds himself in fear. He's crying out to God, and God refuses to answer. And then Saul, verse 7 says, said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her, And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. Now Saul is desperate. He's desperate because he's crying out to God, and God is nowhere to be found. God's not saying anything. And he's looking at the odds. He's afraid, and so he decides, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. God, you want to be silent? You don't want to say anything to me? Fine. I'm going to take care of it myself. In his desperation, he goes and he does something that he had previously fought against. He goes and he does something in his time of desperation when he's when, when the hour is coming near and he's afraid and he's crying out to God and God's not answering. And that season and in that time of desperation, he says to his servants, go and find me a medium. If God's not going to reveal things to me, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to go find a medium who will actually communicate with me since God is nowhere to be found. There's danger in our lives. There's danger in our lives when our lives are going about one way and God doesn't, God doesn't act or respond in a way we think he should. So we take matters into our own hands. This can be especially true in times and seasons of desperation where that thing that we've longed for, that thing that we've prayed for, that thing that we've hoped for for so long just continues to be elusive. And we can't for the life of us understand what God's up to or what He's not up to. And it makes no sense, God. What are you doing? And so we take matters into our own hands. And that is where oftentimes the temptation is the greatest for us to just do things the way we want to do. Never mind what God has said. Never mind what God's plan is. And we can even find ourselves in those seasons and in those moments of our lives going back on things we previously denounced, on things we've previously fought against because we're desperate, because we want answers, because we need to see results, because we need something. And God, where are you and what are you doing? Saul says to his servants, you go find me a medium. God's not going to handle this. We'll handle it. We'll take care of it. Go and find me a medium. And his servant said to him, behold, there's a medium at Endor. I love that. Remember, there wasn't Google. They couldn't pull out their smartphone and Google, where's the nearest medium? They knew exactly where the nearest medium was. 
the servants knew that she was at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went. He and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. He disguises himself. He disguises himself for two reasons. One, the Philistines are encamped. And now a region that the Philistines have under control, he has to go to in order to see the medium he's kicked out of the land, the medium that he has sent away. And so he's got to disguise himself because if the Philistines see that it's him, they're going to kill him. But he has to disguise himself for another reason as well. And that's because he's the one who issued the orders and the edicts to have the mediums thrown out of the land. He's the one who issued the decree. So he disguises himself, he and his servants. And he goes and he meets with the medium. And he makes his request. And the woman said to him, verse 9 says, Surely you know what Saul has done, and how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. The medium is cautious. She's cautious because Saul is the one that kicked her out of the land to begin with. And she's cautious. She knows if she's discovered, she will be put to death. That her life will be put to death as a result of the edicts of Saul who has now disguised himself and sought out the very person that he kicked out of the land. This thing is complex and it is a mess. And you want to make it a little bit more messy? Well, Saul's got you. If you're like, hey, let's, let's just make it a little more complex. Saul's like, hold my beer. I got you. He says, I swear by, I swear to God you'll be fine. I swear by God's name, the very God who in Deuteronomy said you shouldn't do this, I swear to God you'll be fine if you do this. What a mess. He's disguised himself. He sought out the very person that he fought against and that he exiled. Now he says, I swear to God, you'll be fine. If you just will do what I've asked you to do. This whole situation is a mess, and it causes us to ask some questions. I grew up... And in a simpler time, and I remember when I was home sick from school, there were reruns. There was the Brady Bunch and the Wonder Years, followed by the great whodunits of Matlock onto The Price is Right. And The Price is Right was on CBS, so it, it had a little bit higher of an ad buy. But on the regional channels that showed the Brady Bunch and the Wonder Years in Matlock, you could get ads really cheap. And there was a psychic named Miss Cleo 
who would come on and run ads. And if you've never seen Miss Cleo ads, you need to do yourself a favor later today and go to YouTube and search out Miss Cleo and watch about 30 seconds as she promises you all the answers to all of life's questions revealed for you by her via the tarot. And don't you worry, because the first three minutes of your call are free, and it's only a phone call away. And I remember my mom coming into the room one time and being like, Brian, you, you know that's, that's not real. That's make-believe. And it turns out that the Justice Department agreed with my mom because Miss Cleo was eventually charged with fraud. But that causes us to... That's true. But that causes us to ask the question... Is this stuff even real? What's, what's going on? What's, what is happening here? Well, 1 Samuel 28 continues in verse 11 where we read these words. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And Saul said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Saul says, Conjure up for me, Samuel, and she does. Now, we, don't, we don't know how. We don't know how. Scripture doesn't go into that for us. We don't know how this was possible. All we know is that it happens. Conjure up for me a spirit. Conjure up for me, Samuel. And she does. And she freaks out. Which means one of two things. It means up to this point, she was either a fraud who never really saw something like this before. So actually seeing it sets her off and it scares her to death and she shrieks and she cries out. Or it means she's legitimate. And it means that every time she sees something like this, it's so harrowing. She screams in fear because of what she sees. So either she's a fraud or else it's just that freaky. And if she's a fraud, this is the first time that God allows it. And if not, then every time this happens, it's just that freaky. And she's afraid at what she's seen, but she's also afraid for her life. Because in the process, she understands that she is dealing with Saul, who is the very one who told her to get out of the land, or else her life would be put to an end. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his appearance. And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe and Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. I see a God meaning a spirit. And again, we don't know how this was possible. Maybe this was possible at the time because the Old Testament saints, those in the Old Testament who loved God, 
You, you, may have, you may have asked yourself sometime, how did people before Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and rose again three days later, how, how, did, people, how did people go to heaven? How were people saved before Jesus came and paid the ultimate price for our sin? Because the cost of sin is death. And that's a spiritual death. So how were people able, before Jesus paid the price for our sin, how were they able to go and be with God after they died? And what Scripture tells us, the answer to that question is, the way that, old, the, the way that people were saved in the Old Testament before the arrival of Jesus is they would look forward to the coming of Jesus. They would look forward to what Jesus was going to accomplish on their behalf. They would look forward to the coming of of the promised Messiah. In the same way, we now look back at what Jesus has already accomplished and that he's paid the price for our sin, that he died on the cross and he rose three days later. We look back at what Jesus has accomplished, but the people in the Old Testament before Jesus came, they looked forward. But Jesus still hadn't paid the ultimate price for their sin. He hadn't yet been crucified and risen again three days later. So the righteous, when they died in the Old Testament, were essentially sent to a holding place that the Bible calls Abraham's bosom. It was a place where only the righteous would go who were looking for the coming Messiah, who were looking toward the coming of Jesus and the price that would be paid. So we don't know if because Samuel was there that he was his spirit was able to be conjured up or what. Again, there's so much of this that God doesn't reveal to us. There's so much of this that God doesn't make known to us, but what we do know is that is that the medium sees Samuel and Saul knows it's Samuel and he bows down to him. And then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Samuel proclaims he has been disturbed by being communicated with. So much of this, we, we, aren't, we aren't told just, just reported what actually happened. And what actually happened is Samuel communicates that he has been disturbed by being communicated with. And Saul explains he's facing a battle. Saul explains that the odds are not in his favor. And Saul explains that in the midst of this trying hour, God is distant and he's nowhere to be found and he's not speaking. And Samuel's response is worry about God. There's nothing I can do for you. 
That's the crux of his response. Dear Saul, thanks for bothering me. I can't help you. Worry about God. Sincerely, Samuel. And then he drops an incredible P.S. P.S. You and your sons are both going to die tomorrow. Then join me. Your life's coming to an end. That's the message that Samuel gives Saul which I think we all can agree is a horrible response to be given if you're Saul. You have disguised yourself. You have gone to see a medium. You have conjured up the dead to be given the message. And the message that you hear is, I can't really help you. You're going to lose and you're going to die along with your sons. Now, we don't know we don't know if this is just a prophetic vision that God has given the spirit of Samuel. We aren't told that. We aren't told how much of the unseen realm can see what's happening in this realm and how much of the future the unseen realm knows about this realm. We aren't told any of that. So we don't know if this was just a special vision that God gave to Samuel that only applied in this context, or we aren't told whether or not the unseen realm can see into this realm and see the future for what's about to happen. But what we do know is Samuel is given the results, and Samuel is told what's going to happen to Saul. And then Saul fell at once, full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hands and have listened to you what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it, and she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Saul was terrified, and rightfully so. He'd heard a response that no one wants to hear. He'd been given the news that his life was coming to an end. And in his response, in his grief, in his angst, in his anguish, in those moments, he had no appetite. And I don't want us to miss something about this story. That I believe is recorded for us for a very distinct reason. And in the midst of his angst and in his anguish, in the midst of all of this, don't miss the humanity of the response of the medium. The very one that Saul had sent away. The very one whose life was in jeopardy by doing what Saul had asked. But in the humanity of her response, 
She makes him dinner. As she sees, he is troubled by the news that he's been given. Even with people with whom we vehemently disagree, vehemently disagree, and even with people who operate apart from God's plan, we can find good, decent people. We can find good, decent people who operate differently than you would, who believe differently than you would, who do not follow God's mandates. And yes, as people who follow Jesus, our hearts should break for them. And yes, we should desire that everyone discover the love and the hope that is only available through a relationship with Jesus. That is the only path to God. Let me be perfectly clear. But even people with whom we vehemently disagree We can still show humanity, and they can still show humanity, and they can still be decent people, even if they miss this. And our culture right now is in a hurry to villainize anyone and everyone that disagrees with us. And we need to just say, as people who love and follow Jesus, yes, our heart breaks for people who do not have a relationship with Jesus. But we need to make sure that we still see the humanity and decency in people, even with people with whom we disagree And we can disagree vehemently, but we need not villainize people. And here's the medium. She sees Saul as troubled. And her response is to make him dinner. Now, what does all this mean for us? Because there's so much about this that we do not understand because there's so many details that God chooses not to go into for us. But what are the implications from this story? What are the implications that mattered to us? What are the things that we can take away that do matter to all of us? And the first thing I want us all to see and understand is this. There is a realm. There is a realm that is unseen. And we are not in control of. And things can happen that we cannot easily explain away. There is an unseen realm that we we can't see it, we can't control it, and there are things that happen that we cannot easily explain away. And oftentimes we don't, because we don't see it, we don't think about it, but that doesn't mean that it is not real. And the visions, the few visions that were given in Scripture of the unseen realm show us it is all too real. And there is a battle that is waged in the unseen realm constantly between the forces of God and good and light and the forces of evil. There is very much an unseen realm, and much of what happens in that realm we do not fully understand. And if God wanted us to fully understand it, he would have gone into more detail in order for us to understand it to the best of our finite abilities. But there is an unseen realm which we, with which we do not understand. But one thing that is true that we can all understand about the unseen realm and about this realm and every realm is this, that God is in control. 
God is in control of the unseen realm. God is in control of the realm that we can see. God is in control of everything, which means as followers of Jesus, we have nothing to fear, whether it is seen or unseen. There is nothing for us to fear because God is in control of it all. The third thing. It's always best to follow God's mandates. It's always best to follow God's mandates, even when they don't seem to make sense to you. Even when it seems like God is distant, even when it seems like you've got a better way or you have a better plan, or certainly God would, would draw an exception here. No, 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 no. It's always best to follow God's mandates, even when they seem not to make sense to you. The fourth thing is, if you're a follower of Jesus, and God feels distant to you, it's time to inventory your life and to see why. If you're a follower of Jesus and God seems distant to you, it's time to take a hard look in your life and see why. Maybe there's a habitual sin in your life, something you know that is wrong, but the appeal just keeps calling you back and calling you back and calling you back. And even though you know it's wrong, it feels so good, it feels so right, and God feels so distant, so you keep going there. Maybe it's a lack of prayer in your life. Maybe you're, you're not spending the time communicating with God. Maybe you aren't engaging the heart of God as revealed to us through Scripture. But if you are a follower of Jesus and God feels distant in your life, it's time to take an inventory of your life and discover why. And the last thing I want us to remember, especially now, is this. Remember, it is God who ultimately appoints kings and rulers and presidents. It is ultimately God who is in control of all things. God is in control and He is always in control. And He is the one who deciphers what kings and rulers and presidents there will be. And so our hope is not found in politics. Our hope is found in Jesus and the fact that God is in control and He has a plan no matter what. God, I pray that we would be people who rest in the fact that you are in control. As there are so many things that we do not understand and so much uncertainty, I pray that we can rest in the fact that you have everything under control. God, I pray that as followers of Jesus, our lives would be ones where we seek to honor you with our conduct. We seek to make decisions that you've called us to make. And God, in the moments where we want to do something else, that we would die to our self-interest and we would instead elevate what you've called us to do. I pray that as people who love you, we would set the tone in love 
that we would refuse to villainize people who disagree with us. But as your ambassadors, we would set the tone in love and goodness and humanity. And Lord, knowing that you're the one who ultimately appoints rulers, we pray for President Trump. We pray for Vice President Pence. We pray for Governor Evers. We pray for Senator Baldwin. We pray for Senator Johnson. We pray for Representative Gallagher. Lord, we pray for them. We pray, God, that you would guide their hearts. For those that may not know you, we pray, God, that they would experience the love and hope and grace that is only available through a relationship with Jesus. God, we pray that you'd give them wisdom as they govern. We pray, God, that you would guide their paths. Lord, we rest in the fact you are in control at all times of every circumstance things we see and those we don't so let us rest in the fact that you've got us and let us follow you all of our days in your son Jesus name we pray Amen.